Hi guys, I'm Rachel. And I'm Erin. And this is going to be unsettling. Deeply. things um good things are things things are things i um sophia started t-ball today and the coach just called because when we when i like pulled in the coach called because uh it was her first day and she got up to bat for the first time and they had doing like practice swings and she's good at hitting but of course it was the first time she was getting pitched to versus hitting off the tee yeah so that's not really t-ball it's not T-ball anymore. No, she's graduated. But there's a T in case the kid can't hit off the coach. Transition ball. Yeah. Tran ball. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't but, say it like that. But okay. <laughs> but the uh, coach threw the ball and got her right on the knuckle. So it wasn't like an immediate meltdown. So the coach called to make sure she was okay. She's fine. How's okay. that knuckle? Uh, you know, it's fine. It's got a little bit of a little bump. But it was more because she was hungry and it was cold than really the an injury knuckle. yeah but the low knuckle the love knuckle anything else you got going on mm, not so much no i don't think so are those games like super boring to watch you know i think once she once they get better they will be boring because right now they're really just funny because of how bad they are right. like last year there was this kid named dominic and he would take his hat off and throw it in the air and then spin in his, like a circle with his arms out and his grandfather was like this little old Italian man would go, Dominic, Dominic, you're offending the game of baseball. Pick your hat up, Dominic. And then Dominic would be doing like snow angels in the sand. So I love that. They're love entertaining. Dominic. Yeah, they're entertaining now. I think once they get better and like you have to take it seriously. It's like watching like little kids at dance class, like pick a wedgie and like. Exactly. Do, yeah. Yeah. Spin. That kind of yeah, environment. Love that. Yeah. It's good. It's cute. Once they get better, it'll probably be boring. Let's all strive to be more like Dominic. Yeah, right? Let not take life too seriously. No, you're, you're not disrespecting baseball, Dominic. Yeah, I think he's... You're adding a flair. Yeah. 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 Channeling himself. Because let me tell you, that's what I remembered about last season was Dominic. He's bringing a piece of himself to the game. That mm-hmm. can never be replaced. No. Bath Rot is really doing something right now. Thanks for that app. I, I literally did not add to it. That's just it. Okay. Um. So anyway, last week... You really fueled our nightmares with your cave exploration. <laughs> and Abe asked us how we would Spelunking. kill someone in self-defense. Spelunking. That, that whole episode was a wild ride. Really, it just felt like a fever dream. But through the course of the conversation, the topic of drowning someone else came up. <laughs> and again, I hate the ocean, so I wanted to see if there were some terrible accidents that happened in the ocean. Of course. Right? Logical. Um. So I stumbled across the very lucrative occupation of underwater oil rig operators. Okay. As with anything else, it pays really well because it comes with a lot of risks. Like they unionize. That's yeah. a union type of job. Oh, yeah. And it's like a very, like, you have to be trained for it. And um, Oil rig workers are potentially subjected to permanent damage to their eyes, ears, lungs, as well as amputations and burns. There's also a risk of being attacked by marine life while they're underwater, but you're more likely to get burned than bit by a shark. 
Yeah. I was Be- like, what marine life? Like- well, because they're actually diving underwater. Yeah. So like the oil rig is situated in the ocean and then they're diving under to fix it or. Like- yeah. I just feel like, I just feel like people don't get attacked like that. Oh, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe I, they do. I don't know. I mean, apparently you're more likely to get burned. So it doesn't okay. happen that often. Um, The biggest threat to this occupation actually comes when their shift is over. Now, I'm obviously not a scientist, but my basic understanding no. is when a diver makes their descent into the water, their body begins to experience pressure changes, right? Okay. The bends. Yeah, yeah. The ambient pressure, which is... I will just say the bends always reminds me of, like, the runs. Right? <laughs> so whenever someone's like, oh, you get the bends, I'm like, oh, you're shitting yourself. Yeah, no, totally different. It's, I was also like... it's, But I, it sounds like that, It does. Right? I think people would actually rather shit themselves than what happens to you. Right. Of course. Right, right. I was always, like, irrationally afraid of getting the bends for some reason, even though in I like, never scuba dived. In her pool. <laughs> in her, like, only shallow end pool. It's like when you're, like, a kid in a four-foot pool. It's like, you just think it's going to come up more when you're a kid. Yeah. That's yeah. like bends. stop, drop, and roll. How many yeah, times did they teach it? Yeah, quicksand. Or being I a triangle. I was terrified of being on fire. And you know what? I terrified of quicksand. I haven't had to use that. But at least we know what to do. But, I mean, did we have to learn so much about it? Like, tell me yeah, in a balance a checkbook. Yeah, a lot of stop, drop, and roll. We could have spent one of the stop, drop, and roll days on how to balance a checkbook. That really would have helped me more yeah. at this point in my life. We need a balance. I or think. how to, like, yeah. Or, like, how to fix a car. I didn't. How to not get abducted. How often are you catching on fire, truly? Yeah. Like, maybe how about, it, like, run away from fire when you see it? Yeah, I mean... <gasps> It's pretty logical. Usually you don't just sit there like, ow, this hurts. Yeah. Uh, no one has to tell you. Everything is fine. Anyway, so um, when they start to go into the water, the pressure changes. And the ambient pressure, which is a normal atmosphere, like our current pressure, is increased astronomically under the water so that the oxygen supplied is processed differently, right? So the pressure is harder on the body and it's more difficult difficult for circulation and oxygen and all that stuff micro bubbles will form in your blood that would typically not be there and they can build in volume and cause issues in your joints and with your skeleton mm-hmm. um they can also block your arteries and your heart because there's all these bu- bubbles in your blood that you really shouldn't have yes that's the bends that's the bends um if untreated decompression sickness or the bends can be fatal all while being in searing pain and states of incoherence. So like there's nothing you can do about it because it hurts, but you're, you're like out of your mind. So you can't even fix it. That's great. So this is like the big thing that they have to deal with hmm. these underwater <laughs> oil rig divers to avoid getting the bends. Divers are required to spend time in decompression chambers after diving, but it becomes costly because for every hour you spend underwater. Now, maybe this is why you were concerned about swimming in our pool. Because for every hour you spend underwater, you need to spend up to 48 hours in a decompression chamber. Big ratio. Yeah. You were a little fish in the pool. So, you know, maybe maybe that's where your fear came from. I don't know. Still unwarranted, but... So, this whole little deep dive led me to find the accident that's coined as the most brutal mass death in history. So, we're going to talk about the Biford Dolphin Incident. Have you heard of it? I don't think so. Does it have to do with dolphins? Has nothing to do with dolphins. Misleading. So if you wanted to talk about dolphins, which I'm not a big fan of. Go to SeaWorld. Oh, God. Um, So it's called the Biford Dolphin Incident because the 
oil rig itself was called the Biford Dolphin. It was a semi-submersible drilling rig that would drill seasonally for private companies in the UK and Norway and was active from 1974 to 2016. And it was equipped with its own engines that would like counteract the drift of the water. But if it needed to be relocated, it would actually get towed by tugboats. Okay. So it's this giant thing. And it had enough space to hold 102 crew members and was designed to be the best in class oil rig, meeting all the safety specifications at the time. The incident that I'm going to talk about was not the first deaths reported on the Biford Dolphin. Um, deep sea oil rigging itself loses about 15% of its workers annually. That's quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, for all different reasons. The first death that was reported on this rig happened in 1976 when the rig actually ran aground while being towed to a new location. Mm-hmm. So the entire crew was evacuated, but six of the crew members died when they fell off the lifeboats, which is terrible, but that's not what we're going to focus on. They just they just died. From like oh. the temperature? I don't think so. I think they just got lost at sea because... And drowned. I yeah. feel like if you're, if you're supposed to be out there, you probably would have been prepared to be in the water. No, I mean, did they have life preservers? I don't know. Because you could like panic and. I mean, it, but it's not like me and you out there. It's people that are seasoned. I know, but sea I people. Do but I don't think their equipment was made to. You think you really prepare have longevity like, like on the surface, you know, or like true. just waiting around. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, six people died. That's not what we're talking about. The Biford Dolphin incident will go down in infamy for a tragic loss of life caused by human error. So remember when I said every hour they spend underwater, they need to be in the decompression chamber for 48 hours? Yeah. Well, it didn't take long for the crew to realize how inefficient that was. So they decided to create separate crews that would operate on different schedules on three-week rotations. So the first crew would work underwater for a week straight and then move into the decompression chamber for two weeks. While the crew set out to work, the next crew set out to work, and then they would return to the decompression chamber for like meals and sleep in between. So it was like set up. It wasn't just like this empty tunnel. It was like set up like they could sleep and eat and everything in there. Yeah. So you kind of like swam up into the entrance tunnel. You shut the door behind you. There was a whole bunch of steps to get into it. But then once you were in it, there was beds and like a galley so you could eat. And But they were all underwater the entire time. So they never went above surface during that three-week process. Um, Like I said, the decompression chamber was built for lengthy stays, so it wouldn't be an issue for the crew to spend an elongated period of time in there. And then they were more productive while working underwater versus like going down for a day and then having to decompress for two weeks and then going on. It just, it didn't make sense for them to do it any other way. But then the people that were working on the rig had to you know, prepare so they would call their families once every three weeks mm. because they were underwater and they wouldn't hear anything. So they would assume because they didn't hear everything, anything that everything's fine, um, which would normally be the case, but I wouldn't be talking about it if it was. So the decompression chamber itself had a five step process to properly depressurize the decompression chamber. This is like when you had a fuselage drinking game. Every time I say decompression, (laughs) Um, the decompression chamber had one entrance and one exit. 
and two rooms with bunks for all the divers that were divided by doors. So, like, it kind of looks like a spaceship. Like, you know how they float around and they're in kind of, like, cabin pieces? Yeah. And they're separated? It's like that. Um, so, the divers would enter the diving bell, which is the entrance from the water, and then close the diving bell door behind them, and then slowly add pressure to secure that door. So, it's not completely depressurized yet, but they need enough pressure so the door stays shut. Then a diver would close the door to the chamber where everyone was sleeping and then slowly depressurize the diving bell to reach one atmosphere. And that would take a while because mm-hmm. they're going from nine atmospheres to one. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so once they depressurize the diving bell, they would open the clamp that separated the bell from chamber one. And basically they just, Float into the bell, shut the door behind them, shut the door in front of them, depressurize, open the clamp, and then they could go in. Okay. So it wasn't that hard. And it's just the process that needs to be done in the specific order in the right way. Yeah. And they were all trained on how to do it. Um, and they really hadn't had any issues with it. That was obviously until Saturday, November 5th, 1983. It was 4 a.m., and a team of four divers and two dive tenders were returning from a week-long shift and ready to relax. I'm at the dive tender. Oh, when you're looking for me, dive tender. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so the divers were Edwin Coward, Roy Lucas, Bjorn Bergerson, and Truls Helvick. Bjorn. Bjorn. <laughs> the dive tenders were William Cramid and Martin Saunders. Hang on one sec. I don't want to call. Do you call when you're noon? <clears throat> no, I have um, bronchitis. It's not contagious. It's just my allergies. So, Coward and Lucas went into the bunk, bunk resting chamber too, right? So, they're out of the diving bell. They're in a chamber completely separate. And it's currently pressurized at nine atmospheres, which is nine times heavier than we are right now. So, it takes... Nine times the amount of effort to move your arm. Pretty a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's a workout. It is. Helvick was about to close the door to the diving bell with Bergerson when Crammon opened the clamp. So remember how I said you have to close the door, close the door, and then open the clamp? Yeah. They hadn't even gotten the first door closed when he opened the clamp. Okay. Fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So opening the clamp before they were ready resulted in explosive decompression of nine atmospheres to one immediately. So Coward, Lucas, and Bergenson died instantly. Likely, after the autopsies were done, it's likely because their blood was boiling inside of their bodies and stopping their circulation. When they actually did the autopsies, they found fat deposits in their blood because of how much pressure was put on the oxygen that was in their body. Oh. Mm-hmm. Helvick hopefully didn't suffer either, but had a much worse fate than boiling, boiling alive, if you can even imagine that. How? Helvick was being close to closing the door. So he was trying to close the door and then was then forced through a small 24-inch crescent-shaped opening, which his body in a diving suit could not fit in. So he was severed in half and his internal organs from his chest exploded out of his body, including parts of his spine, and they were found 30 feet away. I hate that for him. Like, he, he just blew apart. 
Kramen was also killed when the diving bell door struck him, and Saunders was surprisingly only seriously injured and was able to survive. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, during the autopsy, they found, like, large amounts of fat in the diver's blood, which they assumed came from the bubble formation within the blood during the explosive decompression. The divers who boiled to death were unrecognizable, resembling burn victims, but without the char. Like, they weren't black, but they looked they were, like, blistered. Ew. Um, they were swollen and red. Their eyes had bulged out of their sockets. And they were not in defensive positions, which hopefully means that it was instantaneous. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't have enough time to react. Because they weren't like this. They were just, like, like just cooked. Um, an investigation went underway to determine how the accident happened. And it was determined that it was because of human nature. They were never able to really determine why Crammon skipped from step two to step five. And there was very little communication between the chambers. So it's possible, like, because there's doors in between them, they think that maybe he thought that they were already at step five and it wasn't done with ill intention, right? But there was another thought because he was a dive tender that for whatever reason, maybe one of his supervisors told him, like one of the divers said, okay, open the clamp. And he's just a tender, so he has to listen to whatever they say. Yeah. So they don't really know why he did it, but that was the reason that everyone exploded um it took 26 years for the families affected by this tragedy to receive compensation because the employer or the the oil rig was claiming that it wasn't a problem of the employer it was an employee negligence because the employee had done it not the employer okay um surprisingly the by four dolphin was not taken out of commission after this incident and remained drilling until 2016 it's not the dolphin's fault yeah, but like you would think if your rig blows apart. Yeah. Prop that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. Um like it's cheaper to to just, just keep just on to drilling fix it and to replace it. Yeah, so it remained drilling until 2016, but it was always known for some of the most gruesome deaths in history. And I found this information on Wikipedia and today I found out.com and BBC, I think. So yeah, they boiled. I'm uncomfortable. They boiled, but they weren't hot. Imagine that. Very uncomfortable. Unsettling. Big unsettle. Take me out. <laughs> Take me <laughs> out. Oh, God. I have um, Gangnam Style stuck in my head. You know that terrible song? Gangnam <laughs> Never whoa, heard of it. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> yeah, <whoa>. I'm sure. <laughs> um, I... I don't know why my phone does this, but like if I was listening to something on Bluetooth before I turned off my car and then when I turn on my car, I haven't decided what I want to listen to yet. <laughs> Defaults to that. It starts playing Apple Music, which is music that I bought in like 2012 before I realized you didn't have to do that anymore. Oh. So it's like dubstep and gongam style and like call me maybe it's all these terrible songs <laughs> that i paid for and that YouTube and you paid album. for it yeah and the youtube album that you two like forced yeah. onto everyone with an iphone it just starts playing and i'm like rocking out to gongam style so now every time i get out of my car it's like hey sexy lady i'm not that's not the worst i guess i, I mean it's not Get you ready for whatever you're doing it I'm does sure. it really pumps you up for your day. Maybe you have that little, the little things in life. That little blip. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm going to be 
Erin's going to do hers next, and then I'm going to do another one because I may or may not have a lisp as of Wednesday because I'm getting a tooth pulled. So um, if by the last Yowie. one, yeah, if I have a lisp uh, or if by the last one we've really gone off the rails, it's because we've been talking <laughs> about gruesome things for like three hours at that point. Yeah. But no big. No big. How you doing, Ab? You okay? Is your blood boiling? Do you have large fat deposits in your blood? I have large fat deposits elsewhere. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sure there's some in my blood as well. That's probably, <laughs> probably not. No, no, there shouldn't be. There That's shouldn't. the point. There I shouldn't be. Yeah. just in my hips and thighs. <laughs> <laughs> Those hips don't lie. My gullet region. <laughs> gullet. Oh. Oh, I don't like that word at all. And with that. Yeah, with that. We'll talk to you next See week. See you next time. <laughs> so scary. See you next time. Bye.